So anyway, so I'm, I'm excited about uh, what God's laid on my heart for today and for next week. Uh, a couple of brief announcements that I want to bring up is this. Uh, next Sunday is, we're still having church, guys. Sunday school and everything that goes with it, all right? So next week we're going to be um, having um, Christmas sweater Sunday. So if you got an ugly one or a good one or a funny one, an appropriate one, everybody hear me on that, all right? Appropriate one. Um, wear your, your, your uh, Christmas sweaters next week. We might get everybody up here that has a Christmas sweater and get a picture. That'll be fun. Um, I got a good one. I can't wait to wear it. Um, it's got little bells on it. That's all I'm going to say. Um, anyways, and so then the next Sunday, which would be um, December 31st, we're going to have Pajama Sunday. Appropriate pajamas. Appropriate pajamas, all right? I don't want anybody showing up in boxers, all right? So... Um, but yeah, we're, we'll have a pajama Sunday. We do this every year. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun to do that. So anyway, so guys, um, those things, I think that those are the biggest things that I needed to make sure that um, I made you guys aware of. And um, one thing that I want to say, and, and this is not to any of, your, any of the visitors that are here today, um, one of the things that I, I kind of find you know, hard every year, so we always have to, we just had a big elders meeting yesterday to talk about all of the things that we're going to do next year. Do you know the, the two worst months of the year in giving to God's kingdom? You know what two months of the year are the worst? November and December. November is the month of Thanksgiving. Like, God, thank you for everything I have, everything that you've given me. And December is God gave us a Savior. And it is the least, the two worst months of giving back to God. Just food for thought. All right, so we're in a hero series. Today is going to uh, kind of lead into next week a little bit. Next week we are going to do the, the hero of uh, one of the heroes for Christmas. But uh, we've been studying this hero series. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is where we get inspired by this. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... And what, what we see throughout the Bible is there's all, we've been surrounded by so many witnesses throughout the Bible and how they live their lives and the things that we can learn from them. So he says, since because we've been surrounded by these witnesses, let us throw off everything that uh, hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So, so far, this is what we've done. We've looked at Abraham. We've looked at Joseph. Um, they entered into, after Joseph, they entered into a time of slavery in the Bible, 430 years. And then the Exodus movement happened where God used Moses to lead the people out of slavery. Then um, they wandered the desert for 40 years. And then it took 25 years for them to take the promised land. Joshua was a leader. Caleb, we learned about Rahab. We, we learned about Achan. Um, not Achan for bacon, but just Achan. And then we have spent now several weeks in the book of Judges. And what we're doing is we're just kind of walking through this Old Testament, looking at some different characters of the Bible and their story and how that story can inspire us and teach us different things. So today we finish the book of Judges today with a little story about Ruth. It's actually a, a very short book of the Bible, four chapters, I know, because I read it. Um, so here are the different, we've now studied for 12 weeks about the different heroes of the Bible, just 
to get here so far. We've looked at some heroes, we've looked at some villains, um, but we, um, today we're coming to this fun one, the hero Ruth. Be a light in someone else's darkness. Uh, one of the goals that I have through this series is this, though. I want to teach people that, you know, God didn't come uh, and, and, and we have this New Testament. And so many people take the New Testament and say, well, we don't need the Old Testament. What I want us to do is go- learn so many different things that how the, the, the Old Testament builds this beautiful, wonderful foundation in which Jesus continues to teach off of. So the Old Testament's like this foundation. And so we're learning from all these different people who saw they, did, they never got to see it in person, but they could see forward. They saw the, the coming of a Messiah. They didn't get to experience the Messiah, but they had to live out their faith before the Messiah ever came. And so it's kind of a really neat and amazing thing. So um, Heroes, one of the, or Ruth is one of these little small books in the, uh, in the Old Testament. And so one of the things I did in college, I thought this would be fun to share with you. When I first was called into ministry, I called my uncle and I said, what do I need to do? And he goes, you need to read, read the Bible. And I picked up my Bible and I was like, wow, that's intimidating. Like, you know, like I made it a goal in high school to not read, you know, like, you know, I was like, I don't want to read this and I don't want to read that in college. I didn't even want to read the books that they gave me to read in college. I'm like, man, I don't want to. So I look at this Bible and it gets a little intimidating. Does anybody get in a little bit intimidated when you look at the Bible and somebody says you should read it? And you're like, where do I start? And everybody's like, well, I'm going to start at the beginning, you know? And you do okay for a little bit. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You're like, all right, this isn't too bad. And then you get to like Leviticus and you start hearing about somebody's bull gouging another bull. I don't even own a bull. You know, like, what is that? Doesn't have anything to do with me. You know, and so what happens is we get, and we get to these places and it doesn't make sense or it doesn't apply to our life and we just quit. So one of the things that I did um, is I, I looked in the Bible and the table of contents and I circled all the shortest books of the Bible. <laughs> I'm not lying. I did that. I was like, if it's four chapters, I read all the ones that had four chapters first because I was like, I know I can, I can read four chapters. I can do this. And then I went up to the ones who had five chapters and six chapters and I'm like, look at this. So then I started checking them off. In, the, in my table of contents, and you know, within a half of a year, I read half of the Bible. Not really like page-wise, but I read half of the books of the Bible in a half a year. I'm like, look at that! I read half of the Bible. I mean, it was only this much, but you know, so I, I started feeling accomplished, you know, like, hey, I'm doing this. And then I, would start cha- then I would start taking on some of those bigger ones. Well, Ruth is a very small, four chapters, but it has some really, really amazing things. So first, we're going to look at this. We're going to look at the historical setting of this book. So the historical setting is this. Bad things happen to everyone. Can all of you guys attest that bad things happen to everyone, right? Every one of us sitting in this room, if something hasn't bad happened to you, you're not old enough to understand that yet. But if you're like out of high school and even bad things happen to kids, here's the reality. Every, adults, right? Bad things happen, right? If bad things happen to good people, right? I mean, that's what I hear, right? So bad things happen to everyone. There's no one in here that says, man, I have lived a perfect life and nothing ever bad has happened. Nothing, nothing out of the, the ordinary has happened. So here's the thing. The setting is this. Bad things happen to everybody. So in the beginning of Ruth, it says, in the days of the judges ruled. So we know that this is happening in the same timeline of the judges. It says there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah to Together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So they left Israel, their promised land, and they went to Moab, uh, uh, one of their enemy countries. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. 
And the names of the two, his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and they lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. So that's the first bad thing that happened. Her husband died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. That would have been considered uh, bad in that time because the Jews were not supposed to marry anyone outside of, their, of, their, uh, of the Israelites because it was told that, hey, you got to not marry somebody who believes something different than you or they may lead you away from what you believe. So they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and one the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years... That these two sons died. Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. That's a bad, right? So that's the setting. Today's story, we're going to look at all, this, all the, the characters of this story. They, they had painful circumstances in their life. And we all know this. Bad things happen to everyone, but not everyone handles bad things the same. Have you ever noticed that? Some of you sitting in here have had some bad things happen in your life and you handled it pretty good. Others have had some bad things happen in your life and you handled it very poorly. And so my question that I want you to kind of keep in your mind as we go through this story, what will you be when bad things befall you? When bad things happen to you, what will you be? How will you live so the story carries on. Naomi said to her two daughters also, after her husband passes, after her two sons pass, she says, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you. So she's going to go back to, to Bethlehem. She goes, you each go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. She kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. You see, there's some cold, hard facts about this culture that they're living in. Naomi is, is older now. Her sons were grown. They were married 10 years. She's past the age of childbearing. She's a widow, so she has no husband at this moment. She's, she's uh, beyond the childbearing age. And even if she married a man and had a son, at that point, by the time he got old enough to get married, he, she would be unable to give her daughter-in-laws anything. In that culture, if there was another son, you would have married off one of your other sons to, to carry on the name of the deceased. So they would, they would often like, hey, um, a brother died and this brother's still single. He would marry his brother's wife to carry on his brother's name to help the family out. And so that was happening. It was what she's saying is, I have nothing to offer you. So here's two daughter-in-laws that were staying with her after their husbands died. And after her husband and sons died, they're staying with her, helping her. And she goes, you need to go back. I have nothing to give you. I don't have sons to give you. I don't have money to give you. I don't have a home to give you. All she could offer these girls is poverty because that's what she's headed back to. She has no husband to work. She has no, no, nothing but a, a little home to go back to. She has no crops. She has nothing. 
So she's encouraging them to go back to their homes. If they go back to Moab, they go back to their parents, then there's a chance that they could get another chance at life. They could move on past this. And I love how Ruth replies. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death, even if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Wow. So here's the first thing I want to bring to you. Be the light in someone else's darkness. See, here's Naomi. Naomi has lost a husband and two sons. She doesn't have any wealth. She has nothing to offer. She is in darkness. She is grieving. She's had a painful experience. And yet, each one of these daughter-in-laws, guess what? They also had loss and grief and pain in their lives. And here's Ruth. So understand, Orpah did go back to her mother. Ruth is the only one who stayed. And something that we could take that is, how powerful is it when someone, when you can be the light while someone else is standing in darkness? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how you could be a light when someone else's life seems so dark? See, Ruth is sacrificing. I need you to understand what Ruth is giving up. Ruth is sacrificing the chances of a husband. She goes back home to her mother. The mother and the father could possibly find another husband because she doesn't have kids. So there's a, there's a chance here for her. That's this, I understand the culture. Here's the thing is that she, but by staying with, Ruth, with Naomi, Naomi has nothing to offer. She has nothing so she's giving up the chances. She's sacrificing the chances of husband and children and maybe even a comfortable future. She at least could live with her mom and her dad who both have stable lives. Ruth had every right to go back to her parents. If she did, she had a chance, a better chance than what she has now. And Ruth also knew that because she was a Moabite woman, that going back to the Jewish land, they would not respect her, nor would anyone want to marry her because she's not Jewish. Ruth is sacrificing her future to take care of Naomi who lost her future. Isn't that something? I started thinking about Ruth, and a lot of times when we read these stories, we're, we're only seeing the details, but we kind of miss, we miss what's really happening. Ruth is sacrificing her future to take care of someone who doesn't see a future. Isn't that remarkable? Ruth is a remarkable, remarkable person. So she teaches us right now, be the light in someone else's darkness. And you can't be the light when you are filled with darkness. They're traveling back home. The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, can this be Naomi? Naomi says, 
don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. So I'm going to stop right here. The word Naomi, so we, we named our daughter Naomi after this passage, not this passage, but after this Bible, Bible name, it means pleasant one. Naomi means pleasant one, one who is kind, one who is lovely. Now, we picked the name before we knew she was redheaded. I'm just saying. <laughs> but you know what? She is so pleasant and kind and lovely. Mara means bitter. Don't call me sweet. Call me bitter. She wants them not to call her kind. Don't call me a name that means kind. Don't call me a name that means lovely. Don't say that I'm lovely because I am bitter. Have you ever been around somebody who's bitter? Come on. It might be you, right? I mean, you know, here's the thing is some of us, when things happen in our life, every, every, bad things happen to what? Everyone. So sometimes when bad things happen to us, we then take on the personification, I am bitter, I'm angry, and I won't be happy. Has any of you ever come to a place and like, I just refuse to be happy? Come on, don't be lying in church, right? There's times in our life, right, where we say, I'm bitter, and that's what I want. That's where she is. Naomi is like, I am bitter. Don't call me happy. Don't say that I'm a joy. Don't say that I'm lovely. I'm a bitter woman. She says, call me Mara because God Almighty, the Lord Almighty, has made my life. So she's not only bitter, she's now blaming God for her bitterness. God made me this way. If you are sitting here saying God made you bitter, that's a lie. You have a choice. You can be bitter or you don't have to be bitter. You're the one that makes the choice. Yes, could God have stopped all of these things? Absolutely. God could have stopped her husband from dying. God could have stopped her sons from dying. He didn't. Doesn't mean that that's what, like, what we often do is like, well, God did this. No, death did this. Did you know in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last enemy of God that God destroys is death? God his last enemy that he is going to destroy when the end comes is death. He's going to destroy death. Death is the enemy to God. But did you also know that in the book of Psalms, it says this, death, the death of God's saints is precious in his sight? Why? Because if I believe in God and I die that's my beginning of eternity. And that ain't so bad. Huh? You change your perspective a little bit about death, right? To God, especially for those who place their faith in Him, death isn't bad. It's a graduation. You've graduated from pain into... In, you, you, you've graduated from mortal into immortality. You've graduated from pain to no more pain. You've graduated from tears to no more tears. You've graduated from sickness to no more sickness. That ain't so bad. So God doesn't look at death like you and I look at it. And that's Mara's problem. She allowed herself to be bitter at God. God, you could, have, you could have kept my husband alive. You could have kept my sons alive. And God says, precious in my sight is the death of my saints. They're with me. You need to move on. You'll see them again if you don't stay bitter. 
There's not going to be bitter people in heaven. I'm just saying. So here's the thing. So she, she says, the Lord, the Lord made my life bitter. That's not true. That's a lie. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Is she empty? She forgot somebody still in her life. She didn't come home by herself. She came home with Ruth. She's not empty. Has that ever happened to you guys? I have nothing. And yet you have something. I'm broke, but you have food. I don't have this, but oh, you have... A lot of times we walk around in our lives saying, well, I don't have nothing. And you are so ingrateful that you can't see what God has already given you. Well, that was kind of hard, sorry. Supposed to be like celebrating Christmas and everybody's like, man, this sermon's terrible. But here's the problem with victimhood mentality. When you play the victim in your life, when you play the victim, bitter people are victims. God did this to me. It's never our fault. So first and foremost, when people walk around bitter and angry, they, either, they, they blame someone else. It's never their own fault. Now, not everything has a fault. Sometimes people just die, and that's a part of life. So I would look at this thing and say, well, no one did anything wrong here. It's just a part of life. It's a part of that circle of life. We learned about this in The Lion King. The circle of life, right? I mean, we, come on now. It's all right to smile in church. It's okay. So the thing is, is that what happens when we play that victim, what we end up doing is we have to blame somebody for the bad thing. Sometimes bad things just happen. But what happened is this. She didn't want to blame herself. She wasn't to blame anyways. She wasn't blaming her daughter-in-laws. Well, somebody has to be a blame because I hurt. I'm just going to blame God. The only one who brings joy and comfort. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So where does comfort come from? God, if I'm mad at the one who brings comfort, I'm probably not going to experience it. Okay? So she's walking around. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. I'm empty. I have no one. I have nothing. How would that make you feel if you were Ruth? Think about this. Ruth's in the house. Don't call. She's right next to her. They're coming back. They're walking into Bethlehem. All of Naomi's friends are so excited. That's Naomi. Don't you call me Naomi. I'm Mara. I have nothing. Oh, I'm nothing. How easy would that have been for Ruth right then and there? Say, so, you know what? Forget you, old woman. I am done with this. I'm going back home. I mean, some of us sitting in the room like, I'm out. Right? And yet Ruth didn't. Listen to this. Be the light even when darkness surrounds you. That Ruth did not allow Naomi's or Mara's attitude to sour her light. Isn't this amazing? I mean, guys, I hope that when you get done, you have a whole new, new respect and a whole, like, wow, Ruth is, is the kind of woman that every man's going to want to be married to because she's just a beaming light even when things are going bad. She's a light even when everyone around her is being dark. She's living with a bitter woman who's mad at God and mad at the world and who says she has nothing, and yet here she's still going to be the light. Check this out. 
Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing. He was a wealthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Remember, Elimelech is her husband. So this is a man from that clan whose name was Boaz. Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I can find favor. Naomi said, go, go ahead, my daughter. So here's what happens. They have nothing to eat. So in our culture, have you ever seen those big combines going right through the field? They're getting all the corn. What would happen is Ruth would have followed behind the combine and picked up loose corn kernels off out of the dirt, and that's how they were going to live. I'm wanting you to understand, not in front of the combine, she's picking up out of the dirt the stuff that they left behind. The stuff that when you go and see a cornfield and all the deer are eating out there, and they're eating the, whatever was left over, right? That's where she's at. I will pick behind I'm going to pick up leftover what? Leftover. She, I'm going to take the leftovers of the grains that they didn't think was good enough to sell at the market. I'm going to take the grain that wasn't good enough to be picked. Oh, that doesn't look like a good head of corn. I'm throwing it down. Oh, that one looks half eaten. I'm, you're taking that and throwing it down because it's not good enough to take. And she's picking it up off the ground because that's how they're going to live. Do you think that she would have to do this if she would have went back home? No. Her family would have allowed her to grieve and would have tried to help her pick up her life and move forward. Here is a light, even when she's surrounded. So you got a, a woman at home who's bitter and angry at the world, and here this one's going out and saying, I'm going to go pick up grain that's got dirt on it so that we can make a meal tonight. Wow. The more I, I read this book, Get this picture. Ruth sacrificed the chance to go home and start over. Ruth sacrificed her chances of finding a new husband. Ruth is living in the house of a woman who has given herself over to bitterness. Not only is, she, is Naomi being bitter, but now she's going to blame God for it. And now Ruth has to go out on her own in a foreign country, knows no one, being a Moabite, a rejected person to the communities that she would go to to try to find food so they don't starve to death. Is that a good picture? Listen to this, though. In the next chapter, in the next couple of verses here, Boaz asks the overseer. So he owns the field. He comes to his overseer. He says, who does that young woman belong to? Because he knows she doesn't belong there. The overseer replied, she is a Moabite woman or Moabite, who came back from Moab with Naomi. She asked, she said, so she said to the overseer, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came in the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz then, so he went to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in any other field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. That's extreme kindness, isn't it? So one of the things that I want you to teach is as you are being the light, when darkness surrounds you, 
your light will be seen by others. Your good deeds will not go unnoticed. If you are being kind while other people are not being kind, don't you know that that stands out? See, so many times we give up on doing good things when we're surrounded by people who are not doing good things. What I'm wanting you to understand is that when other people want to be negative and yet you're positive, you stand out. You are the one who stands out. If you allow yourself to get sucked into the negativity, then you're just like all the other darkness. Does that make sense? Everybody follow me, right? So, so the thing is, is that, man, what happens is this. She's with a woman who is given over to bitter and anger, and she's just given over to that. And you know what? And she doesn't run away from that house. What she says is, I'm going to be a light in this house. So when you are a light and you're surrounded by darkness, everyone sees that light. At this, she bowed down to him face to the ground because here's a, here's a, she's just hoping to get enough food to survive. Now someone says, listen, you stay in my fields. You follow my ladies. You follow my team. We're not only going to protect you, we're going to give you water and we're going to make sure that you're okay. She now overwhelmed with, wow, someone's being kind to me. Why? So she falls down to her face why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. This wasn't about the death of Naomi's family. He's saying, I recognize your pain, and I recognize that in your pain, you did good when you were in pain. Come on, is that not good? Is that not something to get excited about? That when you're in pain and you choose to do good, that it's noticed. I've been told. So what happens is this, when you are still putting a smile on your face and you're still doing good things, though you're hurting inside, isn't it amazing that you know other people are going to take notice? <laughs> I love kids. I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland. You came to live with a people who you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Woo! You see, a light is always seen in the midst of darkness. Have you ever noticed that? Just in just, just science, right? I remember Barbara and I, we got lost once. I, uh, we were deer hunting, and I was tracking a blood trail of a deer, and, uh, and we were going in the night, and this was before I had the cool apps that had, like, your GPS. And I crossed, I, I just kept following the blood trail, and uh, we crossed a fence and kept following this blood trail, and then all of a sudden I looked up with my light, and I saw eyes, and I ran off of the blood trail towards the eyes, and then we got over there, and I didn't know which direction I was running because everything is super dark. And all of a sudden, um, it was just a, it was not what we wanted it to be. Anyways, and then I look back and I'm like, oh, where are we? My phone was at like 5% doing the little red beepy thing. We call her, 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 uh, her stepdad, said, hey, we're 
we don't even know where we're at. Would you come to your property and start honking your horn? And I remember how, how I was, I'm not afraid of those circumstances, but I was terrified because I had my wife with me. I'm like, it's okay if I freeze to death. It's not okay if she freezes to death because of me. So I'm sitting there, and I'm really nervous. I'm, my phone's going to die. He's going to get there and not know what to do. And so he gets the property, honks one, and it's b- bouncing everywhere. Couldn't even tell where that came from. So then luckily I got one more call out. I said, dude, lay on the horn. Just lay on it. Don't let go. And finally we started walking through the woods, and we think we're getting closer. And all of a sudden you see a light in the darkness, and your heart just goes, oh, we're saved. Huh? Jesus is the light of the world. Ruth replies to him, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. She's like, I'm lower than even your servants. Hmm. Now, we got to fast forward to the end of the story because I said that uh, I was told that this was supposed to be a small sermon. We're getting close. We only have one more slide after this. Oh, oh, I lied. There's a couple. So, um, your light will draw others to you. So, I want you to check this out. So, understanding that light is always seen in the darkness, right? Your light will draw others to you. Check this out. So, Boaz took Ruth as his wife. Come on, right? So what happens is, is he finds out that, hey, I'm a, I'm a relative to, to the lineage, and I'm a kinsman redeemer. It means this. I can redeem their property that Naomi owns. But if I do that, I have to take Ruth as my wife, and he was very eager to do so. When he made love to her, kids, sorry, clever ears, um, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. She did not have a child for 10 years when she was married. The Lord enabled her to conceive. She gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to... Her name's Naomi now. Praise be to the Lord. To this day, he has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons. See this? All the ladies of the land recognized how good of a woman Ruth was. She was good to you. She loved you when you were unlovable. Come on, right? She loved you. She gave birth. And so what the women, the, the, Naomi took the child in her arms and carried, the women living there said, Naomi has a son. Now, guys, somebody had shared earlier that they were told that that meant that Ruth died. Ruth did not die. What it was is that they were, it was, it was, so Naomi really legally shouldn't have been a grandparent here. But because of the love Ruth had for her, she was just in this family like you are. Have you ever been adopted into a family like where you're just one of the, you know, like, right? You guys get what I'm saying, right? You're just, hey, you are my brother, right? I don't care what happens, you're my brother, and that's what's happening is like, this is, this is such an encouraging moment because Ruth is so willing to say, hey, you know, this is my kid. <laughs> I'm going home with my kid. But it's like having a son all over again. You are my, my mother. You are the grandmother. You are a vital part of this. You're not just, you're not just, you know, we're not leaving you out of this. But here's what's amazing. 
They named him Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. King David is in the same lineage of who? Jesus. God had a plan. His plan was to bring a Savior. And what he needed to happen is he had to allow some bad things to happen to get Naomi and Ruth out of Moab back to Bethlehem to meet Boaz, who was supposed to be in the lineage of Jesus. And he brings Ruth, and, and, and he chooses Ruth because of the kind of woman Ruth is. She now is in the lineage of Jesus. When you think everything bad is happening in your life, maybe God is redirecting you to place you in a place for something amazing to happen around the corner. If, if Naomi was in charge, I don't know that she would have ever gotten to that point. See, it took Ruth. It took Ruth coming out of and being a light, even though this should have been, Naomi should have been the whole time. Hey, we serve a God who restores. We serve a God. She should have been that. But you know what? Naomi says, I'm gonna, your God is now my God. Well, you're over here blaming your God. I'm still going to follow him. I'm still going to be a light out here. I'm still going to follow the ways of God. And then God says, you know what? This is exactly the kind of person I want in this lineage. Isn't that amazing? Bad things happen in our lives, and it often repositions us and puts us in places so that God can do something extraordinary. Well, we know that Jesus is in the lineage of David. Look in the book of Matthew, chapter 1. It talks all about it. It goes all the way from Abraham all the way to Jesus. But I think Jesus also taught about the light, didn't he? Jesus is the light of the world, right? And this is what he says. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, this is his own words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Two different times, Jesus is making direct statements to the people around him, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is the light of the world, but also Jesus told us to be the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said to his disciples. This was a part of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are what? Now here's what's amazing. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And then as he's teaching the people, he's saying, you are the light of the world. Well, how can you be the light of the world when he's the light of the world? When he resides within you, guess what? You are the light of the world. Because it's not my light. It's his light shining through me. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Have you ever been driving real late at night and you're just like, oh, I just can't wait to get where we're going. And all of a sudden you crest over this hill and you see all those lights in the, and you know that's where you're headed, right? You can't hide that. You can't hide Christ. If you've got Christ, you can't hide that. 
You can't hide the light. And so he says, neither do people light a lamp and then put a bowl over it. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to what? Everyone in the house. When you are walking in Christ, you get to be a light to everyone in your house, everyone in your neighborhood, everyone you work with, everyone who goes to school. Whatever your situation, you get to be a light to everyone. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others so that, that's the so that part, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, one of the things that we saw with Ruth, because she was letting that light shine, Boaz took notice. Then Boaz married her, and they began to have children, Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David, the greatest king of Israel. Until Jesus. Jesus is the greatest king of Israel. Hmm. So what do we do with this? So I want you to bow your heads today. And Austin, if you want to go get ready, brother. Are you already ready? All right, that a boy, that a boy. So, I want you to ask, when bad things happen, because it does, and, and if you don't have something bad going on in your life, just wait a little bit, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and it, it doesn't stop. But what kind of a person are you when that bad thing happens? It doesn't mean that you can't cry. It doesn't mean that you can't grieve. Lord knows that my wife and I grieved when our son passed away. We still grieve to this day. Christmas is the hardest because that was his favorite. To grieve doesn't mean that you're not a light. But I remember making a promise to Malachi that we would not be angry with God. That we weren't going to be bitter towards God. When these bad things happen in your life, are people able to see you and watch you and see how you handle that? Are you a light to others when things are not going your way? Do you handle things like Ruth or do you handle things like Naomi or better yet, Mara? Maybe you're going through some things right now. head bowed, eyes closed. How many of you are going through some stuff right now? Let me just ask that. How many of you got stuff right now in your life? Maybe you need to come and ask God for some strength. Maybe you need to say, God, I need some strength to get through this. I need, I need, your, I need your leadership. I need your wisdom because I want to be a Ruth and not a Mara. I want to I wanna be a light. I want to show people how to handle these circumstances that are happening in my life. So I just want to, the, the altar's open. If you need some prayer, maybe today you're going through some things and you're like, I need someone to pray with me. Come. Guys, we all have stuff. All of us have stuff. All of us have things going on. If you need prayer, you need somebody to just like pray with me and help me to, that, 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 that I can be the light in this situation. just going to ask our prayer team 
come help. Pray for people. Pray for our brothers and our sisters. Maybe some of you here today has never placed your faith in Jesus. I heard a, I heard a thing the other day. They were talking about the difference between science and, and, and people who believe that God created the world. And the guy, an, an atheist said, well, you guys are pretty dumb because you believe that God made something out of nothing. You can't see him, you can't taste him, you can't touch him. And then the Christian said, well, you believe the world was created out of nothing. You can't see the nothing, you can't taste the nothing. You can't feel it, experience it. The difference is my nothing that you say is nothing is something, and he loves me. Maybe today is the day that you need to place your faith in Jesus. Maybe today is the day that you've been running from him, and maybe today is the day you say, I'm done running. I'm done running from God. I know he exists, and I want him to become my light. As heads are bowed and still eyes are closed, is there anyone here today that says, I need to give my life to Jesus? I need to stop running from God, and today I need to place my faith. Just raise your hand where you're at. If that's anybody here today. I'm going to pray with you. If you raised your hand, and maybe you didn't raise your hand, you were scared, but I'm going to pray with you. You just... This prayer is not a, a secret prayer. It's just validating a decision that you're ready to make in your life. So I'm going to pray, and you just pray, and you repeat after me. Dear Lord, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that He died on the cross for my sins. I believe that He was buried and that He rose again. I know that I have sinned and I've fallen short of your glory. I'm asking for forgiveness. I need your forgiveness. I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to come into my heart. Thank you, Jesus. For saving me, loving me, and forgiving me.